Open your Bibles to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 7. Good to see you all this evening. Tabi, good to have you here. Shilani, Neil. And Shikasen Gov Kubona, Kutwa, Bangwana Bamagangina, Bafikile Kirkin, Sikranamutlanapundu. Esther 7. We are continuing our study of this remarkable book. And Esther now must speak her great concern. She must open her mouth. She must save her people by speaking to the king. If other moments had been terrifying, this must be more so because Esther has already been bearing the weight that her own life and the lives of all her people could be destroyed if she fails. Previously, she was afraid for herself, but now she must be afraid for the entire nation. She must now step between the authority who carries in his simple word the life and death of thousands of grandmas and children, young men, families. It is a very heavy weight for a young girl. It is the climax of the story. What does it involve? It involves her talking, humbling, taking courage, arranging her thoughts, thinking clearly, being respectful, probably bowing down. She has to speak and she has to make a request. This victory will be won based on prayer. That is the point of Esther chapter 7. In other words, Esther prays to a bad king. She comes to a bad man, a man who is angry, a man who divorces his wife, a man who takes multiple women, a man who loves money and power and fame, a man who thinks much of himself, a man who does not see his own wife for over a month. And now Esther must speak to that man. Can she pray? Will her prayer be answered? Those are the questions that Esther 7 brings to our minds. And it sets out a pattern for prayer. Let's read Esther chapter 7, the entire chapter, all 10 verses, and then ask ourselves, what is greater, the similarities or the differences? That is the thesis of the sermon tonight. Five similarities and five differences. I invite you to ask yourself as we read Esther 7, Wherein are the similarities and wherein are the differences between Esther's praying and our praying? And I hope we will learn much tonight about prayer. Esther 7 verse 1. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. The king said again to Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It will be granted to you. What is your request? It will be performed to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. 
But if we had been sold for slaves, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy could not offset the king's damage. Then the king Azuerus answered and said to Esther the queen, Who is he? Where is he? That does presume in his heart to do so. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the palace of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen on the bed where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Arbono, one of the chamberlains, the eunuchs, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king. They still stand in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. This king is a man. He is not the unformed former. The king is a man. He is not the spotless savior. But there is much that we can learn in this passage about prayer. I invite you to remember as we begin this evening that our Lord Jesus Christ told a story in Luke 18 of a widow who came before an unjust judge. And the widow said, give me justice over my enemy. And the unjust judge said, I'm not interested in helping you. But the widow kept coming and the widow pressed. Finally, the judge said, I don't fear God. I don't fear man, but this woman annoys me. Fine, I'll sign the paper for her. And the Lord Jesus said, will not God also hear his elect? And they cried day and night to him. In that parable, our Lord Jesus compares God to an unjust judge. And in Esther 7, we have a godly believer bringing her request before an evil king. Is there a Christian discipline more difficult than prayer? Ask yourself that. Evangelism, Bible memory, confession, tithing, supporting missionaries, Devotions with your children, church attendance. Is there a part of the Christian life more difficult to master than the discipline of prayer? Between each answered prayer, do you see days or weeks or months? When is the last time you've seen an answer to prayer? It is my hope that through the message tonight, you will be motivated <clears throat> because from Esther's courage and from her skill, by the Spirit's gift, 
we can find a happy guide and a motivation to Christian prayer. And that is what I want to put before you tonight. I want to show you tonight a comparison and contrast to make you pray. And I would ask one thing. Please tell me when God answers your prayer. It will strengthen my faith and encourage me to know that God is answering you and, and causing his word to be fruitful in your lives. Let's see now tonight five differences between praying to a bad king and praying to the father. And then five similarities. So you can say there's two points in the sermon, differences and similarities. Or you can say there are ten points, whatever you like to say. But the main point is this. If a bad king gives what he is asked for, how much more will a good king give? To his people. Praying to a bad king is not at all like praying to God the Father. Look at this, chapter 4, verse 11. Go back to chapter 4, verse 11. All the king's servants, Esther is speaking here, 4.11. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know whoever, man or woman, comes to the king, to the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king will hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come to the king for 30 days. Verse 16, if I perish, I perish. Was Esther confident when she came before the king or was she frightened? That's a great difference. Esther comes before the king terrified. She rarely comes before him, hasn't seen him for a month. But our fear of coming to Jehovah is removed when we come with the authority of his son. That is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It means you have the authority of Jesus Christ. You do not gain the authority of Jesus Christ by speaking loudly or by repeating certain words. Friday, we were building the sign in Valdesia. Langu Mashimze and I were building the sign and up on the mountain, we heard a number of people talking loudly, shouting. Your children, your children, your children. And then they paused and they shouted other words. In that tone and in that bounce. That, that phrase means they have been healed. They have been healed. I thought it was very interesting. They didn't pray anything. They made a declaration. These children of this person have all been healed. Praying is asking. Those people didn't ask. They just repeated over and over. They have been healed. They have been healed. They have been healed. Your children. Your... No, I'm sorry. They didn't do that. They said, your children. I have to say it in Songa because the accent. I almost had a cadence like rap. The point was, they took that for prayer. They thought to themselves, you gain confidence by a certain kind of cadential bounce. You gain confidence by the force of your personality. If that's where your confidence comes from, then what about all the people who are timid, quiet, shy? Too bad for them, they can't pray. 
What about the people who are sick or have lost their voices? Too bad for them. They've got no hope. But our Lord Jesus explicitly says in Matthew 6, verse 7, do not think that you will be heard because of your loud or repeated talking. Never think that, but rather go into your home, find your closet, shut the door, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Your prayers will be answered. No one may ever know that you prayed, but they will see that man has things I don't have. How did they get that thing? I don't have that. Maybe they know. I don't have that character in tense situations. I don't have that skill with my family. He's got it and I don't have it. Where did he get it from? When I went to game to buy character, the whole shelf was out. When I checked for it at pick and pay, there was nothing left. I went and take a lot and typed character. I could find nothing. How did you get it? And the answer is, Esther had no confidence, but we pray with confidence in the name of Christ. Praying in the name of Christ means praying confidently because you know you are asking for the things he has told you to ask for. Praying confidently also means that we come with the petition of his spirit. Romans 8, 26. The spirit also prays for us with groanings, which cannot be expressed. He prays. Does that give you confidence? Brothers, when you pray, think to yourself and let this be in your imagination. Right now, I'm coming with the authority of the Son of God to the Father. And while I speak, a better than me is translating my request, improving it where it ought to be improved, Bring it in an acceptable way. How could you be turned away? You have the name of the Son and the wording of the Spirit. This produces confidence. Romans 5, 2, our memory verse for last week. By whom also we have what? Access. The NASB, usually a good guide, says here we have an introduction. We have an access. This is what we have. You have this access through Christ. Esther didn't have that. She's terrified the whole way. She's doubtful. She's wondering. She's uncertain. Brothers and sisters, you do not need to shout, you don't need to learn cadences. You don't need to bounce. You don't need to be cool or clever. You don't need to have a speaker. You need the name of the Son of God and His Spirit. Peter calls believers priests. Because in the New Testament, we have what only a few people had in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were how many tribes of Israel? Twelve. But only one of them brought priests. And only some of that one tribe could be priests. Imagine that if you were in the tribe of Judah. You're going to have to go find a priest. Imagine if you're in the tribe of Simeon or Benjamin or Naphtali, go find a priest. What if you're in the tribe of Levi, but you're not one of the chosen priests? What if you're a priest at 19? You can only be a priest from 30 to 50. What if you're 52? 
you're going to better go find a priest. But in the new covenant, he says, you are a kingdom of priests, Revelation 1.6. Peter tells us we're priests. John calls us priests. Does this not motivate you to pray? I tell you right now, Esther prayed because she had no option. But you pray with full confidence. Second difference. This, this king doesn't know the problem. Look at chapter 7, verse 2. Esther 7, 2. The king says to Esther, what is your petition? Let me put it in other words. What's wrong, Esther? I don't know. You women are a mystery to we men. How can we ever know what you want? And I know all the women are saying, if you would just listen. And all the men are saying, we've been trying to listen for five or ten years. Here the, the king comes and says, what do you want, Esther? And the queen has to stifle all of her womanly desires to say, I've been trying to tell you, but you don't care. Now, I've got one chance, but this king doesn't know. The king we come before knows. He knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6. And one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, Colin. I will answer before they call. What could give you more confidence than that? Brothers and sisters, if you have a quest that deserves to be asked, he's bringing the answer before you even bow your knees. Before you figure out the right title to call him in this particular prayer. Should I say Jehovah? Should I say Father? Should I say Lord? Should I say, oh, the great God? Should I say great and mighty God? Should I say merciful and heavenly Father? What exactly should I say? The answer's already coming. He's full of mercy. This king doesn't know, but the king we go to pray to knows and is more eager to give than we are eager to ask, which is why our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 has to argue you into praying. Ask and it will be given. He doesn't just say, go ask. Look, look, look. A ask. There's the command. Let me give you some reasons. That command's not enough because I know you. I know you. You're not going to ask when I say ask. Ask. Let me give you a reason. It will be given to you. It's sure. Seek. You will find. He doesn't just say ask and seek and knock. Ask and I'm promising you. Seek and I'm promising you. Knock and I'm promising you. For everyone. He keeps going. We're so slow. He's supposed to be our Lord. He should just say, ask, seek, knock. I'm busy. I move on. He explains and gives reasons and examples. Because we're so slow and so hard. We're so unbelieving and doubtful. All the prophets told us that. Jeremiah said, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He knows before we even bring it. Oh, this is one of my favorite things that I discovered this last month in reading the Psalms. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 verses 1 to 6. David says, where will I go to flee from your spirit? If I take the wings of the morning and fly out to the ends of the earth, even there your hand is with me. Your right hand will uphold me. If I make my bed in hell and the grave, you're with me. You know when I get up, you know when I go to bed. 
In fact, you're before me and behind me. You know all about me. Verse six, listen to this. This is what I just learned this month. I knew all that part that I just read to you. That's Psalm 139 verses one to five. Here's verse six. Here's what I never learned before. Such knowledge is too much for me. It's too high. I can't comprehend it. That's verse six. What knowledge is too high for David in Psalm 139? The knowledge that God has about David. God knows David so thoroughly that David says, you know too much about me. There's no way I can even know all that about me. Brothers and sisters, you can't know how bad your sin is. It's worse than you can even get. You can't, how no good he, you can't know how good he is to you. you why, why don't you try though? <laughs> but you can at least trust him. He knows you better than you know you. He knows all the foolish, dirty things you do. He knows your habits. He knows your bad attitude. He knows all the impulses of your mind. He knows the stupid things you think. He knows how silly and flighty you are. He knows how distracted you are while I'm talking. He knows how you've been silently looking at other people saying, that one's not very handsome. I think I'm more handsome than her or him. He knows the way you've been thinking. Well, I think I'm better Christian than that person. I think I'm this and that. How much he knows all of that and he knows more about you that is too high for you. You can't even grasp it. If he knows all of that, can't you come in confidence to him? Can't you come trusting in him? Go to him in prayer quickly because he knows more of your evil than you are even willing to admit about yourself. He knows the full scope of the problem and the total cost of the solution. Number three, verse five. He does not admit his part in the problem. Look at verse five. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said to Esther the queen, Oh, Esther, babe, I blew it. Oh, what was I thinking a few weeks ago? What was I thinking? I talked to him and before I knew it, I had just signed a genocidal murdering decree to kill millions of people. He doesn't admit that. What does he say in verse five? Who's the guy who would do this? What? You tell me someone's trying to hurt you? Why don't look at yourself, king? He doesn't admit his own part. It's him. Nothing bad would have happened to Esther if he wasn't a loser. He doesn't admit it. He's proud. He's foolish. He has sin. You're not praying to a bad king. You're praying to a perfect father. You're praying to one who is so pure he cannot even look at evil. It is this king who brought him into the problem. He sat down in the closed door meeting and thought, maybe laughing to himself, counting out the money in his head. How much money might I get from this? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, what do I care? What a fool. Rather than saying, what did I do, Esther? Who's, who's the guy? I'm sure the problem's somewhere else. But you pray to someone who knows, I didn't do any of the bad and I can bring all of the good. It is very good to talk to an honest man. This king has a lion's share of the guilt, a mouse's share of the humility, but you're going to a God who bears all the power, all the goodness, 
all the innocence and all the perfections. Kings of the ancient East, even of today, were drunk on their own pride. They couldn't admit anything evil or weak about themselves. But we see their foolishness. Esther knew the king's foolishness. And husbands, that's a very good lesson for us. You think Esther didn't see how bad her husband was? Our wives see our sins. So let us be humble and quick to repent. You are blessed beyond Esther because you pray to a father in heaven. Number four, verse eight. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter eight, verse eight. Chapter eight, verse eight. Write also for the Jews as you like it. In the king's name, seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, no one may reverse. Again, in verse 11, you cannot change the law. This king was actually unable to fix the problem. He produced a problem that he cannot fix. He signed a law. He can make stone, but he can't turn the stone back into bread. He can say, kill those people, but he can't say, whoa, wait, 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 sorry. I spoke out of turn. Take that back. He can bring death, but he can't bring life. He can bring problems. He can't bring solutions. The king really doesn't bring a solution. All he says is, okay, Jews, if you want to try to shoot back, you can. That's a solution. Well, I'm glad you killed Haman, but the best you can do is, okay, Jews, I hope you're tough. That's it. That's the solution he brings. Your, Esther's praying to a man who cannot bring the solution to the problem. Esther's praying to a man who cannot solve the problem, but you are praying to God who can solve the problem. I have a problem here trying to see. <laughs> the wealth of this king is only an accumulation of all his people's wealth. And even after that, it's only the wealth that he can gather in from them by taxes. Because you'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 12, when tax collectors try to take too much money, what do people do? Stone. Kill him with stones. As Adoram learned, 1 Kings chapter 12, King Midas could change things into gold, but he couldn't change them back. This king can make laws, but he can't unmake them. That wouldn't be a problem if you were unchangeably wise. But if you're just a fool who has a birthday and a death day, if you're a man who forgets things and can't even sleep some nights, you forget to praise Mordecai, and then you can't even sleep, and you're so foolish that you cut off a good queen, and then you have a fool that you raise up the power. Wow, this king's got a lot of weaknesses. And if you possess the power to create unalterable laws, you're going to have a lot of regret. That's the kind of person Esther's praying to. So I ask you, how much is this like the creator? Friends, when you speak to him, speak to him as one who makes and unmakes. Speak to him, one who creates and destroys, one who raises up and who brings down. This is the one who takes a shepherd and makes him a king. <coughs> this is the one who takes Nebuchadnezzar and makes him a beast. 
We are not praying like Esther. We're praying to a man. We're praying to the God, the Father, who has all the resources and can bring them out at his will. All good things are possible, even definite, though they pass through the wildest fancy of an earthly emperor. A worldwide emperor says, well, maybe, I don't know, let's see if I got it. But the one we're praying to says, I own all things. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Number five, verse three. Chapter five, verse three. I'm sorry, chapter seven, verse three. Esther, the queen, says, please save my life. Fifth, dissimilarity. This king cannot give anything past the grave. Esther says, if I die, what then? God in heaven, I raise you from the dead and give you eternal life with my son. Oh, okay, death's not a big deal. But Esther says, I'm going to die, husband. Step in and save me. You don't pray to that one. You pray to the one who says, oh, I call death sleep. In fact, death is such a small thing, I already went through it. I came out the other side. Don't be afraid. I can handle that. Oh, just death. If death is what's got you frightened, relax. We got that one covered. This king can only handle earthly requests and only up to a point. The, the king might be a god on earth, but he is a God on earth. The one you're praying to is a God in heaven. He is the one who holds all these powers in his hands. There's not a drop or even perspiration of his strongest will or wildest rage that could ever reach outside the cup of this life. Speaking of Ahasuerus, let him rage and foment and bring all the powers of of his empire. And it's just like a little cup and there's a drop in the bottom. That's him. The cup is this life. Azuerus is bottled up inside. But we're praying to someone who breaks cups and reforms them. He makes all the seas. He carries them all in his hand, Isaiah 40 says. Is that not amazing to think that he takes the oceans as a drop on his hand? Have you ever been to the ocean? It's just a drop in his left hand. Can't even reach his right. Oh, it's not there anymore. (laughs) Esther asks for life because she can think of nothing more. But we go to a father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives a waterfall of happinesses in the next life. Eternal life. A renovated, perfect world. A new body without the problems with your knee without the feet problems. In fact, he goes further and says in 2 Peter chapter 1, you will become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? It's absolute destruction of every sin in our hearts and in our souls and in the wider universe. It is perfect unity with all of God's people day after day. That's what he gives. Is there a Christian whom you struggle to get along with? Is there a pastor who preaches through Esther that you have sometimes been bothered with? 
In heaven, you won't be bothered with me because all of my sin will finally be gone. Think of what a great guy I'd be if I just wasn't a sinner. You'd actually like to be with me. Can you imagine? This is what the Father does. He takes all of your sin out so that in heaven, we'll actually find perfect happiness with one another. You go home to your wife because, yeah, it's nice to be with those guys, but let me get home after a while. Can you imagine being in a place where all of your wife's sins, all of your children's sins, and best of all, all of your sins are completely gone. You will have absolute perfect and immediate happiness with every other Christian. That King Ahasuerus couldn't do it. Can you imagine Esther saying, oh King, please, could you make it so Haman and I are good friends? The King can't do that. This King can. He takes wolves. It makes them walk with sheep. He takes children. It makes it so they can put their hand on the snake. We found a snake in our house yesterday in the kitchen. He walks in and says, there's a black snake here. Ah! This one that we pray to, he makes it so that the child will put his hand on the cobra's hole. Pick up, hey mommy, look what I found. Oh, that's nice. Wrap it on your neck a little. That's what this king does. Ahasuerus can't do it, but our king to whom we pray does. He brings out rejoicing and love and laughter forever with God. Can Ahasuerus bring forever laughter and rejoicing and joy? He can't, but this king does. The best that Ahasuerus can do is he'll say in chapter one, bring out the wine, no limits. And you have a debauched scene with a few false laughs. But the one we pray to will bring an eternity of perfect laughter. Five differences, five similarities. Look at chapter seven, verse two. Praying to a bad king is actually like praying to the father. Chapter seven, verse two. The king said again, to whom? Esther. Esther. What is your petition, queen? Esther. The king listens to those to whom he has bound himself. Did Esther choose the king? Did Esther make the final decision? Did Esther control? It was the king who said, of all the girls, I like you. If you'll come with me, I'd like you to be with me. It is the king who called her. It is the king who offers her half of his kingdom. It is he who chose her, not she him. He raised her from orphan to glory. He must and will listen to her request. He bound himself to her. That's what it's like to pray to our God. If he chose you before the world was formed, if he called you by his spirit, if he gives you his spirit, if he unites you to his son, which glory of salvation may be, may be the least understood of all the blessings we get when we believe in Christ. Being bound together, knit together with the son of God. He is in Romans 8, an elder brother. How could that be? Bound to him so that if you are a missionary, 
He goes with you to the end of the age, the forest geography, the forest in chronology. There's no way possible to be separated from this one. And Colossians 1 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. If he's bound to you this way, why would you not pray with confidence? If he loves you and knows you and watches over if you, if he calls you quietly in your heart, if he gives you his spirit, if his hands bear the names of all his people, yes, his hands, Isaiah 49, 16. We sing that song, my name is graven on his hands. Can you believe that God the Father would do that for his people and you would be slow to pray? Second similarity. Verse three. Then as to the queen answered and said, if I, find fa- if I have found favor in the sight of the eunuchs, if it pleases the board of directors of the town council of Shushan, is that what he goes to? To whom does Esther make her request? He is the only hope for deliverance. She does not want the town council. She does not want the, co- the, the comment and complaint line. She wants the king. She knows there's only one option. I've got to reach the king. There are many beggars in Shushan. Esther doesn't go there. There may be businessmen. She, I'm sure, had access to money. She could have gone to any kind of merchant or salesman. That's not going to do it. I'm going to have to find that one who can help me. He's the only hope. She devises her plan to come before the king. She must speak to him. There are no other options. Well, I'm busy, dear, but you can have a meeting with Haman. Just short of what I need. That's not going to fit the solution here. How quickly do believers go to others to speak or gain some comfort from pouring out their souls? It is not necessarily wrong to go talk to your girlfriend. I mean, you women with your other friends who are women. It is not necessarily wrong to talk to your wife or your friend or to chat on what's up or to put as your status. But I wonder, does your heart find more satisfaction in speaking to some other person more so than taking your concern to the one and only one who can bring deliverance? Esther knew there's only one option. I think many times we are so backward and it is a sin to confess that we find more comfort in expressing ourselves on social media. When some bad thing happens, we might put it as a status or post it somewhere or quickly tell this person or tell that person. But did we think I have a problem and there is one person who can bring the solution? You may do this out of habit or for some pleasing feeling, but when you want deliverance, you must not speak to any man. Strongest argument would be this. Soli Deo Gloria. Go to God and say, I am overwhelmed. I maybe shouldn't be overwhelmed about my child's sickness, but I am. This is how weak I am. My computer has this... Constant pinwheel. I can't think of anything else. 
So this is the way I'm made. This is how weak I am. Help me. He will determine the right help that you need. He will give you that help, but do you go to him? The help you need may be a mind that is renewed to trust him while your child goes on for two weeks or three weeks or a month of sickness. It may be that your child will pass out of this life and go into the presence of God by God's will and God's sovereign and eternal and omnipotent and unchangeable decree. And he may say, I'm going to give you joy and confidence and peace and hope. Did he not do that to Job with seven of his children? Did he not do that to John Owen, the godly English Puritan, with six of his children? Did God not do that to George and Sarah Boardman, the godly missionary in Burma? How many times has God said to good men and women, it is not my will for this ease to come to your life. It is rather my will that you have the strength to walk through it, loving me and trusting me and still loving me. Number three, third similarity, eight point if you're counting. Chapter seven, verse three. As for the queen, if I have found favor in your sight, if it please the king, respect. Again in verse four, we are sold, I and my people to be destroyed Passives, passives, passives. Very respectful, very tendentious, very cautious. She only says, here's the problem, I'm in trouble. Very respectful and cautious. If we had been sold for slaves, I would have held my tongue. Women, could you say that? If I was raised up to be queen and then thrown down to be a slave, I wouldn't have said a thing. I would have borne that as the will of God. But to kill me and all my people for no reason? The king ought to be approached respectfully. Third similarity. Praying to bad king is like praying to the father in that she had to go to that king full of respect, cautious, careful. Brothers and sisters, do we come into prayer? With a cavalier spirit, my (coughs) (coughs) do we come into prayer like you might? (coughs) (coughs) Thank you. Do we come into prayer with a cavalier spirit like we might walk into our parents' home? when we're 27 years old? How do you walk into mom and dad's home when you're 27? Like you still own the place. Hey mom, hi dad. Esther does not approach the king that way, nor should we approach the king of heaven. We have to form our arguments. We have to look in scripture and see how prayers were made. There is no lighthearted silliness There's no tossing out words over our shoulder. There is bowing, reverence, respect. Everything we do and say sends a message. Friends, when we pray, are we sending a unified message of respect? Let me give you six marks of thoughtlessness and disrespect. 
Do you do any of these in your prayer? Repeating words mindlessly. Verbal clutter. Uh, um, uh, uh, like, I, um, I don't know. I, starting sentences and then stopping them. Saying the word Lord or the word God over and over without any meaning. Number three, distraction in prayer. It's thoughtless and disrespectful. Number four, entertainment in prayer. Or whatever else. Number five, clipped and rushed phrasing. I sometimes heard people pray in the Tsonga churches. Would you talk to anyone that way? Anyone? Would you come into a shop and try to purchase bread that way? No one would do that. Number six, inaccurate or even silly words. Example, Father, we thank you for dying on the cross. The Father didn't die on the cross. Have you ever heard people pray that? Inaccurate or silly words, brothers and sisters, some of these are funny because we've seen people do it and because we're all prone to do it. But they ought not to ever be placed, they ought not to have any place in our speech before the throne of God. We have to come before him respectfully. Number four, or number nine, verse three to five, he answers wise requests. Please give me my life. We are sold, verse four, verse five. What? Implying in verse five, I'll solve this problem immediately. He answers wise requests. The king is well, the queen is well prepared. She has her thoughts ordered. Every secondary thought is eliminated. Brothers and sisters, when you pray, bring wise requests. Do not babble. It is one thing if a child does this, but even children, children, kids, can you look this way? It is understandable if you say something and say, oh, uh, 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 and then try to phrase your words. We understand that. But even then, when you do it, we're not angry. We love you. God loves you. But always try to grow. Learn to phrase your words in the best possible way. You're coming before a king. Esther has ordered her words. She's eliminated every secondary thought. <clears throat> Only the main point remains. She doesn't even mention Haman. Would you have said Haman? Esther, what's your request? Haman's a jerk. Uh, sweetheart, what do you want me to do? Oh, I can't believe that guy. You seen this guy? I, everything about him bothers me, even stinks. <laughs> Esther, what are you talking about? <clears throat> How many of us pray those ways? We babble and wander on and on. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, That Hideous Strength, in a dialogue between two women, one younger woman who's a new wife says to the older woman, it seems like my husband never listens when I try to tell him. And the older woman says, Sweetheart, do you think any man can listen to all we say? I asked you, do, do, do you just pour out a torrent of words when you come to God himself? You wouldn't do that before the president. Respect, request, reason. Those are the three things in her pattern. She shows respect. She brings her request. She gives a reason. 
and it works. She does not ask for a room full of diamonds. She does not ask for exotic animals and peacocks. She doesn't ask for more slaves. She doesn't say, give me a concert of music. She says, I've got one request. I've thought this through. I want this thing. That's what I want. I know I took three days of preparation to make sure I don't mess this prayer. Maybe your prayer would be answered in five minutes if you prepared it for three days. Our Lord tells us what wise requests are. Luke eleven thirteen, the Holy Spirit. That was our prayer two months or so ago, three months ago. Luke eleven thirteen. how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, I only want to boast in the Lord. I have seen God do things over and over. He has given the Holy Spirit when we have asked over and over. I've seen it this week at least twice. God giving the Holy Spirit when we ask. I've seen it with my wife, my children. I've seen it with my youngest, Cameron, even this week, praying that God would give Cameron a new heart and the Holy Spirit. And this week he did something foolish and I rebuked him. And you know what he did? I'm sorry, sir. Where'd that come from? Oh, well, well, you disciplined him and you... No, no, no. Credit where credit deserves. It was the Holy Spirit as we prayed. Luke twenty two thirty two. different prayers to pray, strength to persevere. Jesus prays us to pray, tells us to pray these things. Missionaries, Matthew 9, 37. I'm constantly concerned about the number of missionaries. Do I constantly pray for more? I want to see missionaries sent from our churches. Do I pray for that commonly? <clears throat> I want to encourage you to do this, and maybe this is your takeaway. I want to encourage you to read the New Testament and make a list of all the prayer requests that we are told to pray. There's different ones. Some are prayed, but we're not told to pray them. Some we're told to pray, but they're not prayed. Make a list. If you want to include them both, that's fine. But make a list of the prayer requests, and then I would really encourage you, parents, Pray that for your kids. And pastors or elders, pray that for your church. This is what we learned from Esther. The best requests are those around salvation. You must reject the notion that salvation, the matter of salvation, can be settled quickly by calling on the name of the Lord. What? Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, That's true. I don't doubt that. But does it say... Call once on the name of the Lord. Brothers, I tend to think John Bunyan has it more right when he says of Hopeful and Hopeful's testimony in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Hopeful said, I prayed. Did he answer you? No. I prayed again. Did he answer you? No. I prayed again. I prayed five and six and seven and eight times. What did you do? Did you quit praying? Hopeful says, no. Well, what could you do? I went on praying. What was he praying for? He was praying that God would reveal his son to him. And you know what I tend to think? Hopeful was answered the very first time. Hopeful's eyes just were like a a young pup just born. They weren't open enough to see. But he was born again already from the very first prayer. That's the only reason he went on. Pups don't continue to bark when they're dead. Calling on the Lord is so vitally important. It must be continued throughout all of our lives. And there are so many needs, so many jewels, so many dangers that you must constantly be asking. 
And very few of those requests have to do with physical things on this earth. Some do, but very few do. Do not be ashamed or afraid to pray for work, to pray for food, to pray for a job, to pray for physical things. Do not be afraid to pray for health, but that should be a dramatic minority of our praying. It is a minority in scripture. Look at the proportion in the Bible. How many prayers are there in the New Testament for physical things? Maybe our Lord with one. Give us this day our daily bread. But then look at how many spiritual things. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Six prayer requests in that. Maybe one of the six. So if that's a percentage, that'd be what? 84% spiritual, 16% physical. Paul the Apostle in his prayers, he prays one time, deliver us from foolish and evil men. But my understanding of that is, deliver us from these evil men because not all men are converted yet. I still want to go on preaching. Hey, please pray for us. They wouldn't kill us because I've got a lot of evangelism to do. If that's the correct interpretation, then even that is not really a physical request. He's not praying, please, I really want to upgrade the Beamer. He's saying, don't let the gun hit me because I got a lot of people to lead to Christ. That happened to us, December 2014. They shot, they missed because we still had some people to lead to Jesus. And some of them are here right now. Pray that way. That's my point is that mark down these biblical requests and pray for them. Number five, the last one for the evening. He gives more hope. He gives more than is expected. Chapter 7, verse 10, Haman is hanged. Chapter 8, verse 1. And the king, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. I'm sorry, on that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, to Esther the queen. All of Haman's fortune goes to Queen Esther. He gives much more than is expected. What did Esther hope for? She wants life. She gets her enemy's destruction. But not only his destruction, his immediate destruction, not only his immediate death, but he get, she gets her life, his death, his immediate death, and all of his fortune. And her uncle gets raised up. If a bad king pours out a wealth of generosity, a flood of generosity, how much more should you expect from God the Father? Imagine generosity until your mind reels back in some inconceivable lake of kindness and happiness and blessing. And when you are reeling back, unable to even see from side to side, from top to bottom, from end to end, down to the depths of that lake, then think that's only a drop of the kind of generosity God waits to pour out for his people. For eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them who wait, love him. That's talking about spiritual blessings he wants to give to his people right now in this life. You don't even know how much happiness and goodness and peace and joy and success and confidence he wants to give in your heart. That is not talking about physical wealth. That is talking about overwhelming spiritual joy. The power and strength to run the distance through every kind of demon of hell and discouragement and every kind of backstabbing from other people that you know. And you go right through it with joy and hope and confidence right up until the end. That's what he wants to give in 1 Corinthians 2.9. 
and he's willing to pour it out. That's why he says in Ephesians 3.20, he is able and willing to give exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Far more abundantly beyond all we ask or even think. And that comes right, that's Ephesians 3.20, right after Ephesians 3.19, so that we will be filled up with all the fullness of God. Get your arms around that. You, with a beginning and an end, would be filled up with infinity? How does infinity fit inside of you? That's how big you are. That's what he gives. This kind of joy and happiness is the reason we read poetry. Because he has set eternity in their hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.10. There is something in our hearts that hungers and reaches out for infinity. And we can't get it until we pray and have these prayers answered. We're supposed to go, as Newton's song says, you come before a king, large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I urge you, brothers and sisters today, go in prayer because Esther prayed. Go in prayer because look what she did and how she was answered. And your father is not an unjust judge. He's not an evil king. He's not a man with a birthday and a death day. He knows it all and he's filled to overflowing with happiness. And he has so many promises of good things that he will give to you when you pray that your mind cannot conceive them. So go in prayer full of faith. And tell me when you're answered because it will strengthen me and encourage me. Oh, Father, please give us confidence in our prayer. And oh, Jesus Christ, forgive us. Wash us and cleanse us for we have doubted your word. We have not prayed. We have had the sin of prayerlessness compounded with the sin of laziness and compounded with that most evil of sins, unbelief. Forgive us. Forgive us for harboring Satan, satanic thoughts and feelings and impulses in our souls. Give us strength and courage and confidence to pray for every woman and every man and every child in this room tonight who will be listening to this sermon. Grant that we might pray with faith and see an answer. Have open eyes to see you answering us. In Jesus' name, amen.